Hello and welcome to the 361 Podcast, Season 10, Episode 1. My name's Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. I'm Rafe Blanford from the All About Sites. And I'm Ewan from Mobile Industry Review. This week we're talking all about Google. We're considering IO 2015, all the news and announcements. And we're wondering if Google has a plan for everything or a split personality. Thanks to our friends from TigerMobiles.com, we've got a fantastic prize at the end if you sign up for our exciting new newsletter. Welcome back, chaps. How you Come doing? Come on. Woo-hoo. Season 10. Season 10. High Double en- figures. High energy room. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm rather impressed, actually. Are you? How long have we been doing this nonsense? It's great. It is a long time. Hello, listeners. Apologies, because we've wasted your time. But no, it's, been, it's good to see you again. It feels like it's been a while, doesn't it? It's not been that long, though. We are much more managed now, aren't we? We are, and we've actually managed to get this season kicked off in recording terms just six weeks after the end of the last one, which is better than the three or four month gap we've had in previous years Rafe, or seasons. Rafe's given away the sin that we are actually starting recording quite a long time in advance of putting these out, but there's a cunning plan for all of those. But actually, this show is going to go out public on the 4th of July. Excellent. So well done, Americans. Yes. Yes. Happy Independence Day. Happy Independence Day. Well, well, I guess yeah. we should say commiserations, really, because uh, uh, my my favourite American independence joke. Go on. Oh, just, yes. It, yes. It, While it, you're it, it, it wasn't so much about independence; it was just a disagreement about how to brew tea. We said teapots; they said harbours. You know. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not my joke. Yeah, I hasten to add, but I enjoyed it. That's a great way to start off season ten. Well, look, I think anyone in America's probably got over it by now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've got quite a lot of American listeners, haven't we? We have. In fact, uh, they are our second biggest listener. Do you reckon there is someone listening right now driving in one of those really big trucks? Oh, definitely. Almost certainly. Four by four things. In fact, I would would imagine that Ricky Cadden, friend of the show, is probably driving around Texas in his truck. He strikes me as a guy who has four I think he's in Texas. He's in Texas. With his dog and his family. Probably not in order of priority for him, Maybe I'd not, imagine, maybe not. Given he does a podcast about families. Yeah, so quick plug yes. for Ricky's podcast, Paterfamilias. Yes, well done. Good well name that. And uh, good use of Latin by the Texan boy there. Very mm. impressed by that culture, see. It's not just in the fridge in the yogurt. So, so any yeah. news season, you know, new season, new new news, new style? New season, news. No, I still have a child, but I think I had a child at the end of last season. Okay, so right, continuity-wise, yeah. that's Likewise. very good. Yeah, you've got two children now, I know that. We got them a gator. A gator? Uh, it was Archie's fifth birthday. You bought him an alligator? That seems no, a bit extreme. No, it's a, um, it's a John Deere gator. Um, it's like a little quad bike. Wow. Not a bike, it's just it's got, it's got a battery in it. It just drives for four wheels. They love it. You see, I feel like I recommend I'm, them. I feel like I'm not doing any quality You've got parenting that at the moment. You've well, got potentially coming because at the moment we went to a birthday party and gave the child a balloon, and it's kept him entertained for nearly three weeks now, even though it's mostly running. There out is an inverse now. thing if you're a parent. The most expensive thing you can buy is what the cheapest thing is what they want to play with. No, the cardboard box is the best thing ever. Yeah, this this thing came in a massive cardboard box, and you know it was quite expensive. All the family clubbed together to get it, and yes, they do like the gator, but they do like the box. <laughs> Potentially slightly more. So, Rafe Blanford, how are things on the Blanford Estate? Mm. Uh, the, the Blanford Estate is doing as well as it ever is in your fervent are you, imagination. Are you opening it's, to the public? Well, it's almost, it's almost time for the peasants to bring in the harvest, isn't it? Uh, it is almost honey harvesting season. That'll be going on very shortly. How many uh, beehives have you got? Six. Yeah, I haven't got That was a conversational cul-de-sac, wasn't <laughs> it? Because none of us know anything about bees. Oh, so. All right, then. Do you have your own honey? He does, and more it's a bit like the Dutch I, I, I've, uh, I, I've got some. Rafe gave me some, and we've been eating it recently, and it was very nice. Are yeah. you five hitting me? No, I, literally. 
I, uh, you I brought have, you honey. I have Blanford honey. Yeah, he when came. Did you do, well, well, when he came to my house one day, and you didn't bring us any honey. That's because Ben very kindly picked me up from the station. All right. did, yeah, there we go. So this is top quality entertainment. Welcome back after ten seasons and well, well over a hundred episodes of this. We've finally fallen back to talking about our groceries and shopping lists. But I can commend the Blanford Estate honey to anyone. Just before we get into the proper stuff, what's happened with concrete? Because I still listen to that concrete episode. It helps me get to sleep. It's after I hear you say genuinely you're not messing around that no. you actually go out hunting for concrete under grass. Well, I was out actually last weekend and found some excellent concrete. So top tip, go to Cripps Corner, which was one of the nodal points in the GCHQ line in World War II. Now you're a nodal point. And you will see a perfect example of dragon's teeth. There's actually 750 of them spread out in the countryside around this junction at Cripps Corner. And uh, if you've just started listening to the podcast and make a recommendation for a friend and are possibly regretting that <laughs> choice, the, uh, we will actually move on to talk about mobile tech in a moment. But dragon's teeth are, Rafe? Anti-tank traps. And nodal, oh. nodal points are... Important points along a defensive line. And where you're excited about concrete because... It's interesting. It's fascinating. You can go and look at it and see history in the landscape. There we go. So two sensible answers out of three aren't bad. Okay, shall we crack on with the episode Let's then? do it. Let's okay. do it. So loads of news since we've been away yes. and we will be covering it all over the season, but it's Google's turn this week. Yes. And Mr. Bamford, what are we talking about this week? We are talking all about Google I.O. 2015. And we mm. decided rather than recap the news, which is boring, we decided to... It's not our thing. And we're a bit late. Not our thing, and we're a bit late. It's not an area of expertise. The thing we thought we'd have a think about at the moment is whether or not Google's actually got a plan. Is Google got a coherent plan for everything, or are they just doing loads of stuff? Because from my perspective, it's really quite hard to understand what they're doing and why. Mm. And watching I.O., year after year after year, sometimes make me think that they are crazy geniuses sitting in a room with a master plan that sometimes, you know, you get just a glimpse of. And other times makes me think that they're very successful advertisers who know how to waste their money on lots of other nonsense. So we're going to have a bit of a think about that. Yes. So, Mr. Blanford, I think key thing is for the uninitiated, what is Google I.O. and why would you care about it? It's a conference that Google holds every year for its developers and it sets out a vision for what it's been doing, its interesting products it's been working on, and that can be everything from the Google X projects to the kind of Android phones that everybody's using day in, day out. Now, what does I.O. stand for? Input, Yeah, so that's the funny, geeky thing that Google have done there by saying Google I.O. input, output, talking about the technical aspects of and the probably, interface. probably fair to say it's one of the kind of three big mobile developer conferences that people pay attention to, along with Apple WWDC and Microsoft Build, and perhaps you could throw Facebook and Amazon in there. But it really is a roadmap for what they're doing. It's the one point in the year that they talk coherently about the broad strategy of things that they're doing. At other times, you'll just see point announcements or new products will roll out. And they bring thousands of developers into San Francisco, do hundreds of hours of keynotes and coverage. Of course, most of the attention is on the two and a half hour keynote that takes place at the beginning of the show. Is it only two and a half hours? Because my Goodness, it sometimes feels longer than that. It was two hours, eight minutes this year, but it certainly felt longer. It's quite useful if you do it like Britain's Got Talent. You don't actually watch it live. Just kind of fast forward through the good bits. Yeah, I definitely think that might be the way to consume it. Mm. Now, we're not talking about Apple this week, but WWDC, Rafe, is the conference that's happened more recently than that. And we'll be talking about that uh, in a future episode. But it's not the same by any stretch of the imagination, is it? No, I think it's fair to say that Apple tends to be more focused actually on the developers themselves in terms of the content and has a narrower focus. It's typically talking about its two or three operating systems, whereas Google, I think, has a license to talk about broader products and its services as well. 
But actually, they're trying to do the same thing. They're evangelizing to developers why you should use a Google, the Apple platform, revealing the latest technologies. And there's a public-facing part of it, but of course, there is a private part with a lot of things being talked about under NDA that will then be revealed sometime in the future. And these things are actually turning into main consumer events as well. Yeah. Have you been tracking that? They do now make mainstream press, don't they? They do. But I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of consumers, for example, a lot of people at my office they do not work in mobile or digital or technology, but they're, they're, not, they're, they're not even like real people. They're not well, they? as far as we're concerned. Exactly. But there's oh oh, are you watching the keynote tonight? You know the I O or the the WWDC, yeah. and that I think is very interesting. The way they consume it. Some some people watch it live, stay up late, watch it live, and others will consume it via the different websites where you can see the live blogging opinion of it. All right, it's, so, it's fascinating. So if we're going to try and understand whether Google's actually got a plan or whether it is lots of different things and. You know, but perhaps we'll go around in a minute and talk about your own views about that in a mm-hmm. second. But let's just quickly rattle through the kind of stuff that they talked about this year. Yeah. So Android M, obviously, was the biggest one. Rafe, that's the new version of Android, but we won't really see that around for, well, quite some time because Android devices have a very slow upgrade cycle. Yeah, so you'll probably see the first Android M device, a Nexus device, sometime in November. But in terms of actually reaching the mass market, the kind of the Samsung devices, that won't happen until February, March next year. And it won't actually get into a significant number of handsets that sort of go past the maybe 20% point for a year or even more later. If you think about Android L or Lollipop 5.0 that we've got at the moment, that's still only, well, it's less than 10%, depending on the figures you look at. So one of the important things to realize about Google I.O. is the things they talk about and announce won't really reach the majority of the consumers in a meaningful way for anything up to 18 months to two years after the event itself. Okay, we'll come back to that point because I have opinions about that, but we'll keep going. What else? They talked about photos, Ewan. Yes, I was particularly interested to see that they've launched Google Photos. So it looks like Google's actually doing photos properly again. Do you remember Picasa? A lot of people are still using Picasa or a derivative of it. I used to use it a lot. And then I, I moved over to Picture Life. I've been banging on about that for quite a while. And Google Photos is the first I've seen where it's turned my head. And thought, oh, maybe they are doing something smart. So it's got lots of, have you read about the, the cool features? It looks pretty smart. It's basically free, unlimited storage of photos and video. At a, f- at a low resolution. Yes, yes so that's Low-ish. Just, that just annoys me. Yeah. I understand why they've got to do that, but 16 megapixel is the limit. 16 megapixel if you want free, obviously you can pay for more. Rafe, the cleverness is probably not, Google giving away its advertising dollars by letting you store your photos for free, but it's the photo tagging is the clever bit there, isn't it? I think for consumers, the thing that is going to attract attention is you upload these and they will be recognized as being pictures of certain things and therefore get tagged. And that's in addition to the location tagging that you see in a lot of other services. So I uploaded sort of 15,000 old photos and it will recognize all the photos that I've taken Peasants. of bridges, of beaches, concrete, of coasts, concrete. of concrete. And I think there's a significant Symbian value fans. in that if you think how much time you actually have to spend doing a taxonomy or a tagging on, oh, on we, your we photos. Oh, we haven't bothered. We've got thousands upon thousands and of photos that, we haven't bothered. You know. that, that's it. And being able to so just type in a few keywords into my Google Photos thing and just have them there is fantastic. It's a good example of one of the things that actually launched straight away because it's available as a web service. It's yes. going to be available as an app on, oh, so I, on I've got some of the, the app. I've uploaded yeah. it from mine. It's very smart, very efficient. It's got a nice little assistant thing that will take a lot of photos that it sees stick them into a little collage or it'll stick them into a little kind of animated yeah. GIF little video thing. Very and it's smart. something that Google's been doing increasingly to get this 
time to market sorted. It's been breaking things out of the operating system itself and making them available through the Google Play Store. So you download them as an app. And that way, it's able to get them into consumers' hands faster. So that comment I made earlier is actually more of a general comment where there's an exception for some of the Android M stuff. Before we did the recording, you also said to me that you thought it was really clever because it gets Google awareness of what you do offline almost in the best way that you could possibly think of because Google knows what we search for, what your email... That's what you're wearing. But it might not... Well, I suppose it does now if it's got photos or it's like online, but it knows virtually everything about your online life, but very little about offline, and it does now. I think that's right. And this is all about Google building up a complete picture or profile of you in order to sell advertising against your particular wants, desires and needs. And, you know, from these photos, it can sort of have a window into that physical world rather than the digital world. And that gets interesting, you know, not just for the obvious stuff like location data. It will probably be able to tell where you've been on holiday for the last five years but it'll be able to tell the sort of things that you do, sort of clothes that you wear. And it's not difficult to imagine it's starting to happen in real time. So if you're, say, out shopping, you're trying something on, you take a quick photo to send it to your friend, say, should I buy this? Google might be able to send you a push notification with an advertisement saying, you can buy that top cheaper somewhere else. Why not do it? So it's kind of showrooming potentially type stuff. And, yeah. that, you know, that's all a bit utopian, but it can easily see just how much information they could potentially gather from now, this. There is a spooky issue, isn't there? that you know, Google gets to know more and more and more about you in return for this kind of free photo hosting. Although I, I think I'm getting over that a little bit. Yeah, it's more than photos. And actually that, for me, when we're talking about Google's big plan, I'm far more interested in that side of things. It's almost immaterial that they're photos you're uploading. It's the image recognition and the automatic tagging and the awareness of your offline life. And Rafe, you pointed out to me, for example, that these photos might be geotagged, so they're going to know where you've been. Well, they are took... geotagged, don't they? Well, By default, they're, they're, they're more than likely come off your phone, so they're going to be geotagged. Yeah. I mean, presumably, you might also upload you know, photos from your camera, which are a bit yeah, harder yes. to pick up. But you know, they, they know a lot more than just you know what you took pictures of. Let's just quickly rattle through some of the other stuff they announced, and then we can circle back and do the big ones. One from me, Brillo, that's a sort of an, an Internet of Things thing. It's not standards compliant. There'll be a ch- challenger there. Not very much detail, but interesting to see that, I suppose, with Brillo, and they also have Nest and Dropcam now that they own, that they're starting up a bit of an Internet of Things thing. Rafe? Yeah, and that's along with Thread, which is the kind of protocol that goes along with Brillo, which is effectively a cut-down version of Android to fit better on these low-resource devices. Those are all interesting because that's all kind of about the smart home, which is a space that Google is starting to play, and it's been connected to your phone. We're seeing you know, they're compared to do the same thing. I think we could also pick up on the VR. They had some announcements about cardboard, but more interesting to me was YouTube being used as a distribution platform for VR yes. content and the partnership with GoPro in order to capture these 360-degree videos. And that whole piece around how do you do content in the VR environment is Coming on now, we've had Oculus announce their home platform for doing that. We've had HTC partnering with Steam. Yeah. And there's actually some real momentum coming behind that. And Google is looking to play in this space. Because VR is still very, very early days, isn't it? it? Is. And, and it feels to me in that respect that perhaps Google aren't afraid to have a bit of a dabble way out ahead of where the consumers actually are. I think that's right. And you think about it, it's actually a natural extension of what they're doing with Google Play, with music, with the videos, also with magazines and books and apps. And you can imagine a VR section being added sometime in the future. And that whole activity is definitely one that's emerging. And I think this is something we see from Google a lot. It's experimenting in the early space because they can afford to do so because they're so well funded. Okay, let's just complete the list, Ewan. Yeah, don't don't forget um, Google Auto. 
No, of course we couldn't. Right, yeah, exactly. And because um, it's in literally all of our no, none of our cars. <laughs> it's now right. thirty-two manufacturers, though. Soon, yeah, Soon. but it's, we're getting there. I am yeah. looking forward to getting into a car and it actually working nicely. Mm. Not that impressed yeah, with the Volvo. Apple, that'll be the Apple one then. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, so I'm yeah. more interested in the autonomous cars because I think they have a much bigger impact on the kind of shape of personal transport. Mm. If that happens within ten years, yeah. but that's something else that we're talking about. One of the Google X projects. Yeah. Yes. And speaking of something I feel is a bit Google X is Google Fi or Fee. Are we saying that? Fi. Because I think it's That's like right, Wi-Fi, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was mentioned, a little bit more detail on that. I, I'm excited, but not at the moment. I'd like to see the US only operator exactly. that's going to be on both so you're on Wi-Fi. Yeah. It's interesting, but you kind of feel it'll be a bit like the Nexus devices that, you know, lots of attention in the tech press, but actually not much impact on the mainstream. Unless they're just doing a proving exercise. That's what would be quite exciting if they're just proving it and then saying, do you know what, I actually didn't mean it, bang, everyone can have it, it's $5 and it's global. They also talked about Watch, but that was actually more a recap of what they announced more recently. And one of the things that really caught my attention, because I think it's a really interesting idea, is Loon, which is the project to have basically balloons flying back in the sky providing internet access. Mm. They actually talked about how they've got those into packages that just a team of two can launch and how there's a whole bunch of research and work that's gone into that. Whether that's practical, because you've got SpaceX saying they're going to do satellite-based internet coverage worldwide, but there is definitely this very big push from these companies to make internet access available everywhere. And that does tie into Google being everywhere to every one plan. Yeah, I have opinions about that, but that's for another episode. Yeah. Although actually, it's funny actually, because you start to say, no, that's far too laborious and manpower intensive and all that kind of stuff. And on the drive over here to see you guys this evening, I went past a Street View car scanning London again. So, you know, clearly... Yeah, because it's out of date, right? Well, change. May- maybe it's out of date. Maybe they're updating yeah, it. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they're scanning with better quality equipment, you know, whatever. Maybe they're doing the 3D building mm. tracking, but it just sort of think actually... No, that was kind of a, that's a bit of a dumb thing to say about Google because they've got so much money they could afford to employ armies to do this stuff. Yeah. And so. when you consider internet infrastructure costs for something like a mobile network, which is the other way to do this ubiquitous coverage, sunk costs of billions and billions of pounds. So actually launching a few balloons suddenly looks quite good value. Okay, so back to the big question then, because I think we've talked about that mm. data too long. I really don't fathom how all this stuff hangs together. You've got an Android operating system, which is getting pretty mature with a payment mechanism and with you know all kinds of relatively nice usability features, and some of them are unique to Android and some of them not. We've got automated home, you've got wearables, you've got photos, you know, you've got all that kind of stuff. But Rafe, where's the commonality? What does Google do? Because I just don't understand how all this hangs together. And increasingly to me, it looks like actually Google's just a bunch of people with an imagination and nobody saying, no, don't spend that money. I think it's an incredibly difficult question to answer. And, you know, a few years ago, we'd have talked about this in terms of their advertising business model and that they wanted to know more about you and the kind of original Google vision of, you know, organizing the world's information. And I think that's still there. You can see that in something like photos, it's getting more information about you and certainly Android as a platform. You know, if you regard mobile as a listening platform, it's an invaluable way of learning about all the people. And then everything else you can fit in as enablers around that, be that Project Loon or the autonomous cars, that all kind of makes sense. But it, it feels, you're right, it feels like there's things being thrown at the wall to see what sticks. And so the Google way of talking about this is to say it's about putting technology to work on important problems that users face and do it all at scale for everyone in the world. And that sounds like a total cop-out. But I think it does 
illuminated greater truth that actually Google has increasingly become about doing things through machine learning to solve efficiencies in a whole range of tasks. And when it comes back to it, actually that's probably that cloud intelligence and efficiencies is where Google's business model goes and it's then able to disrupt everybody else. The thing though is, you know, Google is an advertising company in as much as that's what earns all its dollars currently, at the moment. Currently, yeah. and the majority. Rafe's just said that what they want to be is a machine learning company. And as you said, you know, manifested on phones or Internet of Things or wearables cars. or cars or, you know, anything that will benefit from learning at a huge scale. Fine, so be it. But can you actually make a business that is more successful than a global advertising business out of machine learning? Because it seems to me that without that huge subsidy from that successful business, you know, they haven't yet proven any of these things as really viable businesses. Right. But the minute they do, that's a multi, multi, multi billion revenue stream for each one of those things they do prove. And yet when they prove, I would think of them a little bit like a venture capitalist, right? You invest in 10, one of them works, which is effectively what we see happening all the time with Google. I do think there's a guiding strategy. I reckon if you sat Sergey Brin, if you sat anyone from the top of Google down and said, look, this doesn't look that connected. They'll say, well, hold on a minute, it is connected because we're organizing everyone's information. Bang. We are making sure you get ubiquitous access to that data. Yes. And in order to do this, we need to give you this X, Y, and Z. So you, there's a little bit of an overarching strategy, but I, it's the flippant, you know, let's wait and see. Let's try it. That sounds cool. Try it. And then wait and see because a lot of it is them. Um, and if you read all of the, the books or talk to anyone that you know who's worked at Google, I've talked to quite a lot of people who have been near Google or in it or they're near the beginning. You know, even today, it's still very much of a minimum viable product. Try, see what happens. I think the other interesting thing here is, yes, it is absolutely run on an advertising business model, but it isn't impossible to see... Funded by an advertising business model. Exactly, and it's not impossible to see that being switched out for something else. It's just been the most efficient way to do it so far because consumers like the perception of free and they don't actually see that the costs come in somewhere else. all the world's information at the moment... The way of making revenue from doing that is by connecting the fact that I don't know that you offer this or I don't know you want to buy this. And that's what I was talking about. So if you think about it with a much broader definition, and I think autonomous cars are one of the most helpful ways to think about this, you will absolutely be paying for efficiency of transport and that car knowing where you want to go and when you want to go is essentially going to be a form of advertising because the service will be offered to you at the right time. There may well be real-time bidding on it that are you prepared to wait half an hour and yes, the prioritization. What are you doing on top of that car? Where Where is it taking you, right? Which is far more valuable than knowing you know, where the car is. So you can rent a car for a 10 hour a day, that's fine. But knowing that you're going to a restaurant or which restaurant or influencing that restaurant. So, and so absolutely, on. you're actually able to unlock a double layer of value. In one sense, that's what Android is about. When you're you know, learning all that stuff by providing it for free, you can actually see transport potentially going the same way. Now, I actually think people will be willing to pay for that because it's a product in the physical world. But you're right to say you can then think about the recommendations that go alongside that for restaurants or whatever it happens to be. And so it then does come back to this idea of machine learning, which basically is taking vast amounts of big data sets and inferring things about your behavior. And actually, it won't be on a one-to-one basis. They'll sort of break it down into to segments. I think you can get a bit too carried away with that because I would also say when you look at the way Google makes 
business decisions, some of it will be purely based on the way businesses operate, that they someone will have been given a specific target and told, yep. you need to sell that many, you need to reach this target. And that may kind of bend their strategy in a certain direction. So assuming that there's one big controlling goal, I think can be misleading for any of these big businesses in the short term. Because that idea, that, that fragmented, lots of competing strands, perhaps people with different priorities. And, and actually, the other thing we didn't touch on is Google often clearly bets on several horses in the same race mm. and to see which one wins doesn't it so in some cases you can see that android and chrome os which actually wasn't talked about very much at io this mm. this year mm. you know they compete in some areas and you say well why would google pay you know to have two products that do the same thing you and win you double win exactly because the answer is that you get the best one and you see what works and you get to experiment with you know you do you, yeah. you well, and you don't test. wait from microsoft to own it yeah and it's been very aggressive in the standard space in that sense you know where it can kind of own the standard, it's very happy to have open standards. But G. Brillo and Thread are an example where there's quite a strong existing ecosystem in this smart home space, but they've decided to do their own thing. Now, they would make a technical argument for doing it, but there is clearly also letting competing threads run in order to arrive at the optimum solution. The thing is that optimum solution is often what's about best for Google, not necessarily what's about best for the consumer. And that's one thing I think is really important to bear in mind. And that's what makes me nervous. Going back to the point of, you know, is Google one big coherent thing or is it lots of competing things? And I see the point about the machine learning, but that actually begins to become a little bit scary because actually if you consider that Google then does align all of its mapping devices, you know, vehicles, travel, you begin to say, actually, as a consumer, it would be very difficult to know who's influencing the service you receive. You know, how would you make an independent objective judgment of the best product? Well, because as a consumer, perhaps, let's say I want to go to the best restaurant in town. Well, if every part of the supply chain, everything from the watch I'm wearing that reminds me mm. that I've got a dinner appointment through to the vehicle that takes me there, through to the search. You know, there uh, are many points in that. I want to rely on somebody to give me an objective measure well, of what can. is you've best. you can. You've got to pay for that. Precisely. But, so, actually, right, but there's no problem then. But the point is that in that ecosystem where it is the machine learning that is the product rather than an advert, yeah. which I can you know either find valuable or not, it's very hard for the consumer to understand whether or not the learning and the decisions and the things that are being offered to me have been influenced by somebody else because you don't know what the full set of choices was. So, for example, when the vehicle decides to route in a particular way or it decides to recommend a particular type of fuel to you or something right. like that, you know, it's almost like it's going to be government's job, like a financial advisor. Right. You know, when you go to financial advisor, they say to you, I am a whole of market advisor. That is, I'm obligated to tell you the best deal for you with the information you give me. Mm -hmm. yeah? Or they can say, I represent financial firm X, and therefore what I will do is help you find the best product that our firm offers. And will consumers understand the difference in that regard? I think they just, they'll just be naturally educated. I think there's going to be some bumps along the way. I mean, I suppose in some respects I'm arguing for what I want to be the case because the other one, the joined-up Google, terrifies me a little bit it terrifies me too because at the moment we've kind of got these inherent contracts that you get stuff for free in return for giving away a bit of data and most people are kind of as you said for photos you're kind of okay with that once it gets to a certain level that ability to shape behavior and we know it already happens in certain regulated systems you know you look at something like traffic management is a great example of this where the traffic flow will be shaped and you'll be directed certain ways because that's the best way for the system as a whole, even if it's not optimum for you. And actually, 
from kind of a much wider view, people will say that actually the freedom to choose is actually one of those integral things that you really can't take away so, from people. So that freedom of choice and yeah. the way that you know Google potentially threatens that. But I think well, they only I, threaten I, if they own everything. Well, and, and identifying I, Google as the only one is is unfair because sure. other companies are working on this. But Google is certainly that much further down the road than anyone else. Okay, so let me just pitch for how I really hoped things would be rather than how they actually are. We were talking about earlier, mm. maybe Google's not one giant ecosystem. Maybe actually it's two, and it's Google and Android. Because Android's such right. a complicated ecosystem with other players like Samsung and actually you know huge groups of people that we don't even fully understand in China who are building off the open source Android ecosystem. That could it be that Google's created a, a monster and that since they're no longer in control of it, it's no longer really serving the need within that bigger Google ecosystem. I don't see any machine learning or any of those sorts of things coming out of Android. I see it in the services that Google can layer over Android, things like Photos, for example, mm -hmm. that yeah. we've been talking about. But that's a service which really demonstrably could be presented on any ecosystem. And all you need is for there to be smartphones and you can have Google Photos. You don't have to be the company that makes Android to have Google Photos. So where is your problem? But the thing is, the very thing that makes Android strong and it means it's reached you know, a billion devices last year is also its Achilles heel, that the value can quite easily be extracted and taken by someone else, some of this learning. I would just be cautious against that because you look at certain markets and Android has become almost completely dominant and that is with the Google services sitting on top. So it may very well depend on which bit of the world that you live in, just how much control Google has over your life. And China is really the big exception here. I think the more interesting question is, will that kind of non-Google Android get into other markets? And certainly some of the Chinese manufacturers are going to try, but I think the weight of things that are going to be around Android, and you think about smart home, you think about cars, will actually pull everyone into Google's version of Android. And so the way that they're trying to kind of take ownership of Android again is actually not on the phone itself. It's by making all the things around it so attractive that, of course, you want to be in the Google ecosystem. I think you both are getting carried away so with Google being horrible and evil. Well, I'm not saying horrible or evil. I mean, certainly... In the future. I get anxious about the implications of machines making decisions for me when I don't know whose money counts most. But set that aside for the moment. The point we were making there was more around, did Google create something so big, powerful and useful to a market, Android, mm. that they almost created something that was too big for them to control and they wound up creating a huge amount of value for Samsung and they created a whole open source Android ecosystem in China which you know has netted them very little benefit back to Google. Even Amazon's Kindle devices, you know, use this free stuff. And as Rafe says, they're now having to sort of claw it back in because each one of these incredible ideas, each one of these big investments they're making could run off and have a life of its own. And the key for what Google will be to, to can, wrangle them back right. into one big coherent picture. Google's in full control because it releases next generation versions, right? Now you can go and take a stock version of Android. That's fine. You've got a phone but you can't do anything cool with it. Or you can, but you've got to have the resources of Google. So I think they're in a perfectly fine position. Carry on, everyone. Keep looking. Keep the market going up. But the cool stuff, the actual stuff that's actually going to add value has got Google written on it. I think that's true maybe of phones. And as I said, there's this lag time on that that concerns me. But if you look at the broader picture, it does behave like one of the older conglomerates where it's actually 
businesses lumped together that don't always make sense. And we've seen certainly in the past that they often get divided up in order to be uh, more efficient. And kind of that's what Google's done by having the different divisions in Google X. And it's very noticeable that Nest and the smart home operates relatively independently of Android. And I think that's a very deliberate business decision. But it does come back to this whole question of, you know, was this what actually Google planned from the beginning? No, I don't think it was. But Stay in business, I think, was what we planned. That that profitability that they have, just like Apple, has actually enabled them to expand into other areas. What's noticeable about Google is it's gone very, very broad, particularly if you look at the Google X projects, where Apple has kept things kind of a tighter focus. It's very interesting to look at the relative profit margins on a per customer basis for the hardware. Google's done it by going volume. Apple's done it by having a much tighter focus. And I think both of those can be hard to sustain and hard positions to defend, but for very different reasons. I was going to ask you, who do you think is in the more precarious position, Apple or Google? I think that's a good topic for maybe another the next, episode, isn't it? Next that, is, episode. that is another episode, I don't know. So, yeah. okay, we'll draw it to a conclusion there. I think you're panicking too much. I thought we'd get further into an answer there, and I, li- I ended up feeling less less yeah, happy Because, because you're both wrong. I mean, it's going to be fine. Fair enough. So uh, when the robots come... Cyberline Systems Model exactly, 101. Exactly, you and we. Don't worry, they're friendly. Ouch. There's, a, there's an off button somewhere. <laughs> exactly. How do I reboot this? How much do I have to pay for my life robot? There we go. So, uh, well, just before we end, of course, whilst we were away and towards the end of last season, we invited your feedback and comments and questions. Uh, you can now email us through the website, but you can also talk to us. You can leave us a voicemail. Yes. And if you go to 361podcast.com and click the contact link, there are telephone numbers there for US, UK, and or if you want to, you can Skype us. And there's even a form there where you can send but us But we an don't email. answer it. Don't worry. You can do it anytime. You certainly well, you hear Ben. You hear Ben, right? You'll hear me, but you won't end up hearing from you. McLeod. So if that if that sort of thing concerns you, then, uh, then that's fine. Relax. Then relax, exactly. And um, well, whilst we're away, Dan Carter sent us a voicemail. So, um, well, we should have a listen to it. Hey guys, it's Dan Carter here. You know me as Brother Man Dan. Just thought I'd give you a quick voicemail to check out the uh, service. Listening to the, the last podcast, two bits of feedback. One, Ben, nice radio voice. Two, I pushed one to insult Rafe and it didn't work, so you might need to fix that for the next show. On a serious note, great work, guys. Love the show. Looking forward to seeing the future ones. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks, Dan. That's very kind of you. Very nice. Thank you. That kind. And we we won't just be playing blatant self-praise, although thank you, for Dan, for getting in touch. And, um, uh, yeah, you should, help. You should check out Dan on Twitter, <laughs> at MobileMindDan, because he blogs and uh, writes some, some really good stuff as well. Blogs at CoolSmartphone.com. Uh, blogs at smart, smart, smart. CoolSmartphone.com. It's harder to say when you've had a few cool drinks. CoolSmartphone.com. Cool smart, cool smartphone. cool but we also have an exciting incentive. So mm. not only should you call in and leave us a comment or a mm. question, because we might put it on the show and we might even do a show about your question if it's a really good question and we've had loads of really good questions. Uh, we also have thank you to the lovely people at TigerMobiles.com mm. who are a price comparison site with access to some exclusive deals as well. So if you are interested in getting a new contract handset, pay-as-you-go, or a SIM-only deal, you should go to TigerMobiles.com. You can check out, see check if you can out. get a good deal there. Certainly, they reckon that they'll be able to better anything else you'll be able to find. They go across all the networks as well, okay. which is a really handy uh, mm. place to do comparisons. They have said, right, we're going to run a competition. So what we're going to do is we're going to launch our new newsletter. Right, exciting. yes, Ooh, yes right. of course, yes. that's right. So we're going to launch our so new newsletter. podcast newsletter. You can go to 361podcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. Free. And every episode we publish weekly until the end of season 10, you will get to hear about it first. 
before oh, ahead of time before anybody else, which is very exciting. Uh-huh. But if you do that, and then you give us a call, you send us an email, or you send us a tweet, or leave us one of the voicemail like Dan did, and you also let us know what you think the best smartphone on the market currently available is, in your opinion. Later on this season, we'll pick one at random, and you will win that smartphone, so, which is really good. Thank you Any to the smartphone. Well, thank you, TigerMobiles.com. Thank you, TigerMobiles.com. What do you have? <sighs> we know what plan for data. anything Microsoft, basically for Rafe. It's tricky. I think for me, the best handset on the market at the moment is clearly an iPhone. But I think if I was given the latitude to choose any one, and I reckon the guys from Tiger Mobiles would let you do that, I might go for something a bit wacky that I haven't already got to that's try that's something that's else that's out. That's well, I see you've got the BlackBerry Passport there. Mm. That's pretty tasty. Yes. Or um, how actually, about the Amazon Fire Phone? Well, no, I don't think so. But Rafe, look, no, don't come don't, on. don't don't gloat, wind people up. Don't like. gloat too much, Rafe. But I might go for a Windows Phone. I might go for a Windows uh, Phone. Okay. So, but so You'll be converted eventually. So even if you send us a tweet, you don't qualify. You've got to actually be on the newsletter first. You just have to do two things. Yeah. You just have to tweet us, email us, voicemail us. Let us know what you think the best handset is yeah. on the market at the moment, and People who are also on the newsletter will we'll stand, also we'll enter the competition. Enter the you just need to be on both. And frankly, you want to do both anyway. So it's just easy. Pretty cool to it's get a newsletter easy. from your podcast, people. Well, look, I mean, I would like me to write to me every week and tell me about the podcast. And I can't imagine why anybody else wouldn't. Agreed. Okay, guys, it's been fun. My God, I, I am exhausted. And we have, and it's only the first episode of the season. But uh, we're, we've got to get match fit again now, I think. We're going to get match fit. Well, I'm ready. Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much, guys. Much appreciated. Thank you. Good to see you again. Indeed. Thank you. Okay, we got some thank yous this week. We're going to say uh, editorial assistance provided by Emma Krauss. We've got research provided by Roland Banks. This uh, episode was edited and mixed by Mark Cotton at audiowrangler.co.uk. Go to him for all your audio editing needs because he's jolly super. And we say thank you to our studio venue, Digital SLBI. There you go. Thank Thank you to all those amazing people for making the show happen this week. And we will be back next week where we'll be talking a little bit more about Apple. See you then. Bye-bye.